Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with y'all here today. Uh, it is the end of the work week for us. Tomorrow, UL Baseball will be in this spot. You can tune in here to KPL 96.5 to listen to that. Uh, some weather coming in that will force that game to start a little bit earlier. Tomorrow's forecast, we're seeing a 70% chance of storms uh, during the day and into the evening but that will bring along some cooler weather over the weekend. Saturday, uh, the low will be uh, 30 degrees, and it will only get up to about 51 degrees. So that is what you can expect weather-wise coming up this weekend. Now, with all the rain, you may not want to be traveling all that much, which is good because we've broken our record yet again. Average price for a gallon of gas in Louisiana right now is $4.13. That is over. $1.50 from where it was a year ago. It is up $0.10 cents from where it was yesterday, or nearly $0.10 cents from where it was yesterday. And just a week ago, it was just shy of three fifty. So about a $0.60 cent jump, a little over a $0.60 cent jump from a week ago, and almost an $0.80 cent jump from a month ago. This is a big crisis continuing. Here in Lafayette, the current average is about $4.17 a gallon. Yesterday's average was $4.08, so looking at nearly a dime and an increase. Uh, a week ago, we saw prices of just about $3.50 per gallon, and a year ago, $2.53. So again, nearly a, a, a buck and a half, over a buck and a half of an increase over the course of the last year which is what makes the White House's talking point about this energy crisis so weird, calling this Putin's price spike. And they want to tie that to the new inflation numbers that came out today. Inflation grew by by 7.6%, the fastest month-to-month uh, -month increase in 40 years. And they're saying this is all part of, of Putin's thing, but not even CNN is buying that. CNN's uh, CNN today... Uh, pointing out that inflation was accelerating even before the Ukraine crisis. Uh, we have a lot of folks in the media who are now just kind of pointing out that the White House is really leaning into this whole Putin's price spike thing or price hike, and it's not really, you know, holding up very well. But that's where we are. Right now we have... Uh, Energy prices that are so high that, the, that Congress is trying to apportion about $25 billion more dollars just to cover the gaslighting that the White House is trying to uh, cast on us right now. It is amazing how they're trying to rewrite the history on this. More on this in a little bit, but I want to jump to the big news that broke last night when Governor John Bell Edwards announced he was vetoing uh, redistricting maps for the legislature and uh, congressional seats. He, he announced this to the media and on social media uh, last night, uh, saying, Today, after careful consideration, review, discussion with legislators, and consultation with voting rights experts, I have vetoed the proposed congressional map drawn by Louisiana's legislature because it does not include a second majority minority African American district, despite black voters making up almost a third of Louisianians per the latest U.S. Census data. The legislature should immediately begin the work of drawing a map that ensures black voices can be properly heard in the voting booth. He also said, uh, 
that the legislative maps need to be redone as well because minority representation just is not there in the legislative maps. But he's only calling on Congress to address the congressional maps in this session. Now, why is that? Well, we got to look at the calendar for that. We have the 2020 midterms coming up. Let's see. It is March 10th. So in just under eight months, we will have the 2022 midterm elections and all congressional seats are up for grabs in that one. You have several incumbents that are running, but you are also the Democrats trying to get extra seats around the country where they can by pushing for more majority minority districts and what they're calling less politically gerrymandered uh, maps. We're seeing these fights play out all over the courts right now with some mixed uh, results for the GOP. But one thing to pay attention to is the calendar itself. Right now, the legislative session, the regular legislative session is underway. The legislature is looking at several hundred bills. And now they have to go back and look at these congressional maps again as well. There's a very real possibility that the GOP has the votes to override John Bell Edwards' veto. But we know how good legislative Republicans in Louisiana are at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And they might not be able to get that veto override. There's, there's several folks in and around Baton Rouge who think that the Republicans do have the votes for a veto override. The Senate's a little less likely than the House, but they think they have the votes. But when do they do it? Do they do it immediately because the governor sent it back to them? Or do they hold off on a bit? Because remember, the legislative session goes on for months. And what you have right now is the GOP, if they can't get the votes for an override, they will whip the votes to keep their count, to keep their count, see what's going on. And they'll put that up for a vote whenever they can, if they feel that they can do it. If not, they'll just sit on it till the very end of the session and essentially try to run the clock down as much as possible. The reason they'll do this is that these maps will go to the courts. And the Democrats are not shy about using the courts to try to get the maps they want passed. Now, we've seen from the Supreme Court in, I think, uh, a case that involved two maps, including North Carolina, North Carolina and Pennsylvania, I think it was. The Supreme Court uh, overruled the GOP on their maps and are going with uh, maps more favorable to Democrats. But at the same time, you also have members of the Supreme Court who will err on the side of safety if it's too close to the election. Brett Kavanaugh is one. Brett Kavanaugh will likely defer to the Voting Rights Act and the interpretation of it and maybe give the Democrats the congressional apportionment they want unless we're so close to the election that he and others feel it, we, we have to table this for right now. Go ahead with the maps you have and then redo it for the 2024 election. A very real possibility there. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, let's talk about the maps, where everything stands right now. Let's talk about why the Democrats are really looking for 
another seat here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to join in the conversation all about Governor Edwards' veto of the legislative and congressional maps uh, that were sent to him from the Louisiana legislature. The translation from Edwards' statement, which I said in the last segment, which, by the way, you can uh, you can find a lot of what I'm saying right now on kpl965.com. I've got a, a commentary up there. Uh, Edwards behaves as predicted on redistricting maps. Uh, you can go and find a lot of, of, of this there as well. You can also uh, find a recording of this um, in podcast form if you go to Apple, Spotify, wherever, catch a podcast of the show, and be sure to subscribe, uh, rate, and review it there. But... Edwards wants the legislature, while dealing with hundreds of new bills, to redraw congressional maps more favorable to his party this year. Now, there are some proposals floating out there. Cleo Fields is the most notable. Uh, That particular map would put the northern part of Lafayette and St. Martin Parish, among some other places, put that into uh, Louisiana Congressional District 5 make that a majority minority district, but only at around just 50 to 51% majority minority. So that actually, if you look at it fairly, if, if you look at it as, as neutrally as possible and, and try to give both sides, uh, you know, try to try to be fair to both sides here. Yes, that does give the Democrats a second majority minority district, but at the same time, that's a very narrow majority. So the district is a lot more purple than you would think. Keep in mind that in midterm and off-year elections, black voters do not show up at the polls nearly as often as white voters do. So that is really a toss-up as far as that district were to go if it stays, if Cleo Field's vision goes if that is what the legislature adopts, which I don't think it will. Uh, Currently, the legislature wants to stick with pretty much the status quo right now, which would leave uh, District 2 as the sole Democratic district in the state. Currently, uh, Troy Carter holds that congressional seat. The shift to Cleo Fields' map, I believe, also puts Julia Letlow and Mike Johnson who are the uh, representatives from District uh, 1, no, District 4 and 5, respectively. I think that's right. Um, The number's off the top of my head. Um, But pits them against each other because they would be in the same district at that point. Uh, The width of Congressional District 5 across the top of the state narrows, so it just kind of goes along that Mississippi border, and down into dipping down into Acadiana, taking St. Landry uh, and portions of Lafayette and St. Martin Parish. Incidentally, the portion of Lafayette that they take includes my house, so I would now be voting in, or I would be voting in Congressional District 5 if that were the case. Again, though, not sure that's going to happen. The Republicans right now really think, from what I've heard, the Republicans really feel like they have a good shot at a veto override here. And I want to read a a piece from uh, Jeff Sadow at the Hayride about a month ago, I think, a little less than a month ago. Keep in mind that Republicans hold a supermajority plus one seat in the Senate, meaning party unity will override any Edwards veto. 
the House of Representatives, they fall too short of this lofty perch of 70, but also have three no-party members on which to draw, of which State Representative Joe Marino typically leans their way, whereas State Representatives Roy Darrell Adams and Melinda White normally cast their lot with the Democrats. The no-party dissenter on the congressional maps in the House was Adams, whose district would face changes making him unlikely to win re-election. He would be open to Edwards' blandishments to switch on those he supported. However, Marino and White consistently backed the GOP proposals, and Edwards would have to meet out a lot of political capital to get them to defect on one or more of the overrides, probably more for Marino than White. More disturbingly to Edwards, Democratic State Representative Francis Thompson consistently voted with the GOP, as he has been wont to do the term and seems unlikely to flip. These three consistent supporters set a base one more than needed on all bills to override successfully. Aside from Thompson, the only other Democrats to defect on more than House Bill 14, because it drew them the districts not difficult to win re-election in, were State Representative Randall Gaines and State Representative Jeremy Lacombe. So the numbers are there for the Republicans if things stay like they did during the redistricting session. The problem will be how much political capital Edwards has to spend to get some of those to flip. What's more, Republicans in the legislature have not been the most consistently conservative and consistently party line that you would think. Yes, in general, they all move in the same direction, but leadership in the House has not, and and especially in the House, but also in the Senate, has been very uh, lacking. They have not been able to whip their votes very well. We saw that in the last legislative session and in the veto override session last year. So there is the potential for the Republicans to completely drop the ball on it. But the question is ultimately, do the Democrats get this second majority minority district? Even if they do, like I said in the last segment, there's no guarantee that they actually win the seat, but they really want to try. Right now, nationwide, Democrats are pouring almost all of their resources that they can into court challenges and legislative fights on redistricting. The Democrats barely have a majority in the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. With polling going the way it is, you're going to see a lot of seats flip. You are already at well over 30, I think, Democrats who are retiring from the House because they see what's coming. The Democrats' hopes right now are to mitigate as much of that as possible by, tri- by, by picking up as many new Democratic districts as they can. In Louisiana, that comes in the form of a majority-minority district, one that they can draw by narrowing District 5 and having it dip all the way down into, the, into Acadiana, deep into Acadiana, just south of Karen Crow, it looks like. The question will be, well, not just South of Karenko, we'll, it'll take up the entire north side and a huge chunk of that part of the, of the parish, which is a predominantly black part of the parish, as well as St. Martin Parish. The Democrats 
are wanting to make a majority-minority district and get another black Democrat to Congress from Louisiana. They want to point out there's only been five black congressmen from Louisiana in the state's history. I'm not sure, though, that with a majority-minority district that is only 50 to 51 percent or maybe a little over 51 percent black, you necessarily get that win in 2022. First of all, you need to recruit a candidate pretty quickly and have them start traversing the district like yesterday in order to make it there. I'm not sure that you can even find a, a white Democrat in that district to be able to do the same. And if you can't find a black Democrat, a lot of black voters in that district will stay home. So even if the Democrats get it, chances are they may not win that race. And so it'll still be a Republican seat until 2024. 232-1542, if you want to join in the conversation, when we come back, a little bit more on this, and we'll talk some more about the Biden administration and what they're actually saying and why it's all nonsense. When we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. If you want to join in the conversation, 232-1542, or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, or go to Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show and follow the show on Facebook. So the Democrats want a second majority minority district in Louisiana, but they also want more Democratic districts across the country. So they're fighting this idea of political gerrymandering. Here in Louisiana, though, we also have a fight set up over legislative maps. Now, John Bill Edwards is signing maps for the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education uh, and for uh, public service, I think that was the other one that he he voted for. There was no map. There was no new map drawn for uh, the Supreme Court. But the congressional maps we we've already talked about. The legislative maps I want to go into very briefly because I'm I'm standing by what I think will happen there. Now, John Bell Edwards did not say that the legislature should reconsider those this term. He says there's simply not enough time, and he's right. He risks running. He risks forcing the Republicans to run the clock down on that one. But these new legislative maps that he wants, how are you going to get more black districts? Because that's what they want. They want more minority represented districts in the state legislature. You're not going to get those by taking out a bunch of Republican seats. You're just not. You know where they're going to come from? White Democrats. Those districts will be redrawn with Republican legislative leaders meeting with the Legislative Black Caucus to come up with new maps that will mitigate how much power white Democrats have in the state versus black Democrats. I've mentioned this several times before, and I will keep mentioning it because it is the most obvious path for Democrats in the state of Louisiana. Black Democrats have had to put up with white Democrats making a lot of good promises while running the state party, but never fulfilling those promises and never actually reaching out to help in black communities. And black Democrats have had enough. That's why Gary Chambers' Senate run worries Folks like John Bell Edwards. It's not that they think that Chambers will actually win. 
It's that they think that chambers will incentivize black voters to choose more black Democrats for their candidates. And that will take a lot of power away from the rich, white, trial lawyer types that run the state's Democratic Party. And you're going to find that black voters have a whole lot more power when they get motivated than you think. John Bell Edwards got historic black turnout in 2019. Black Democrats pushed their communities to go to the polls for him, and they succeeded. They got a lot of black voters out for John Bell Edwards. That combined with just a horrible candidate in Eddie Responi gave John Bell Edwards the re-election victory. Now, the big thing here is how do you go about getting more black, more black politicians in power in the state? Well, you've got to take away from white Democrats in the state. Taking away from white Republicans isn't going to do anything because you're not neutralizing the threat to your influence within your own party. So the black Republicans, I'm mean, sorry, the black Democrats in the legislature will confer with Republican legislative leaders and their maps that they come to an agreement on. They'll draw up new maps and they will come to an agreement on legislative maps that do away with a lot of white Democrats and bring about more black Democrats. That will be the key in this next legislative map that gets brought forward. And the thing about it is, it's a trap for John Bill Edwards. He can't veto that. He can't turn to his allies and say, I'm going to protect you. Because his allies, the trial lawyer types, the white Democrats with money who run the state, those are the ones that he wants to protect and he won't be able to. So he's going to have to approve those legislative maps when they get put forward. And the Republicans see no reason to oppose that type of deal with the Legislative Black Caucus because they know that intra-party Democratic fighting is good for them. And the Republicans earn a lot of goodwill by making that happen. And there are some things, there are some issues that black or white, both sides can agree on. But it's white special interests in the Democratic Party that have hampered a lot of those. 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. We'll see in the next legislative maps, which we won't see for a year. We won't see that for another year. But we'll see if the Legislative Black Caucus and Republicans can come together to draw maps that are favorable to them both and completely screw over the white Democrats. I think that's the next logical step. And there are some whispers in Baton Rouge that, that is indeed how this was always going to turn out. Now, looking nationally, the Biden administration, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the Biden administration is saying that America, so with the announcement today that inflation grew at like 7.6, 7.9%, something like that, it's the, it's the most accelerated growth of inflation in the last 40 years. The Biden administration is claiming that American budgets are being stretched because they are, quote, starting to feel the impacts of Putin's price hike. That's the new talking point. 
that all this that you're feeling, all this economic problem that you're feeling is all because of Putin amassing troops at Ukraine's border and destabilizing the world and launching this invasion into Ukraine. I told you the numbers earlier. From March 2021, when Biden had been in office for two months, to now, the price of gas per gallon in the state of Louisiana, on average, has gone up over $1.50. Putin hasn't been amassing troops at Ukraine's border for the last year. The last month, month and a half, two months, he's been doing that. He's been making these moves that he was going to be aggressive. And in fact, if you want to give it even a half-year time frame, you could maybe say that once Putin saw how badly the U.S. handled the Afghanistan withdrawal, that's when Putin started making his moves at Ukraine because he saw America was not going to have a strong foreign presence. So at best, Putin's been destabilizing things for the last six months, but really it's only been the last couple of months. Inflation was already accelerating at an incredible rate before Putin started making those moves. It was already record highs before that invasion. And even the Democrats who are anchors at CNN aren't buying it. Inflation is accelerating. These are pre-war numbers as well, CNN's chief business correspondent Christine Romans noted. Many people have thought we'd see a peak in inflation in March, maybe. Well, now we have a war in Russia, not captured. War in Ukraine, not captured here. That's the official transcript. CNN's Romans also emphasized the month-over-month increase of inflation at 0.8% shows inflation is accelerating as opposed to just hitting now due to Putin's actions. All these things, she says, you basically see can't live, uh, all those things you basically can't live without are rising here. You can see just why so many Americans are so sour on the economy, because they're paying more for just about everything. This show has been on the air for two months as of today. And I've been telling you since this show started that Americans have been sour on the economy. This isn't new. The economy has been bad for longer than the two months that I've been doing the show. Americans are feeling a lot of pain at the pump, in the grocery store, and everywhere. And the Biden administration will not accept blame for it. 232-1542, another break. We'll come back for our final segment here on The Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Again, the end of the week for us, UL Baseball will be uh, starting at 3 o'clock here on 96.5 KPL tomorrow. So you can tune into that here. And you can catch uh, previous episodes of the show in podcast form by going to Spotify, Apple, wherever uh, if you miss my voice, but I, I strongly suggest that you check out UL baseball while they're on the air here and also try to keep dry this weekend. Maybe don't drive anywhere considering, you know, it's going to be cold and rainy and gas prices are, you know, super high. I mentioned in the last segment, two years, uh, not two years, two months ago today, we started this show. 
and I said I, I started out, you know, one month in, I did a, a big thing on it. I, I don't want to focus on that too much. I just want to say this. Since the show started, especially in the last couple weeks, on Twitter, at Joe P. Cunningham, and on Facebook, a lot of y'all have reached out and have said nice things about the show, to which I deeply appreciate. I'm doing, I'm doing this show because I've always loved radio. And I believe that conversational radio, where I'm talking with you guys, I'm having a conversation with y'all, is the most effective, informative, and entertaining form that there is. It's what made Rush Limbaugh so good. A lot of the other folks out there, left and right, particularly on the right, because the left sucks at talk radio, a lot of the folks out there tried to be Rush, thinking Rush was all about the bombastic, edgy, sometimes controversial stuff. The nicknames, the mocking, the uh, sometimes kind of risky things he might say on the air. That's, they think that's what made Rush so good. But what really made Limbaugh so good was how in touch with his audience that he was. It was a conversation. In all, a lot of y'all listened to Rush for years. In all the times that you listen to him, one thing you'll know that unlike most other hosts, Rush very rarely had guests on his show. And the reason for that is that Rush, and I, I know this because he told a buddy of mine that he, uh, he told a friend of mine, he encouraged him to get into radio. And at one point said, you know, when he was, you know, just kind of asking him some advice or whatever, one thing that uh, Rush uh, said was, that he never had a get a guest on, or he if he did, it had to be a really, really important topic. But the reason he didn't like having guests on his show is that his show was a conversation between him and his audience, and inviting a third person into that conversation was just rude. Now I'm going to have guests on the show. I, I plan on having guests on the show at a, a much higher frequency. Than Rush did, but that conversational aspect, the, the the fact that this is a conversation between you and me, is what I want this show to end up being. So, again, for those of you who have reached out, social media, email, everything, thank y'all for supporting the show. We're two months in. I'm very glad to be here, and I am very excited to continue being here. 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. We've got a couple minutes left. I think, going back to what I was talking about in the last segment, one of the problems the Biden administration faces is that they have no one in the administration they can rely on to give a consistent rhetorical point. Kamala Harris at a press conference in Poland spoke essentially gibberish, gave her awkward cackle, and was just not received very favor favorably by most people who watched it. 
that cackle is clearly a nervous tick. And it's something that her staff should have worked with her on by now. But but she, according to reports, does not really follow along with the briefings that her staff presents her. She doesn't really pay much attention. She doesn't do her homework. And then turns around and gets mad at her staff when she comes across as unprepared in a public event. So Biden fumbles over his speeches, gives inconsistent responses to questions, and there's no vice president there to pick up the slack because Kamala Harris is even worse at public speaking than Biden is, and Biden's got age working against him. Kamala Harris is not going to be Joe Biden's successor. She may try to be, but she won't be. The Biden administration stuck. Jen Psaki can only do so much. Ron Klain, the chief of staff, is horrible at his job. Joe Biden can't give any good public address, and Kamala Harris is barely capable of doing the job. The Biden administration can't come up with a better message because there's no, and even if they could, there's nobody to deliver it. And that, like everything else, is a problem. I feel like I say that every day. That's a problem for the Democrats because it's all problems for the Democrats. And that's it for me. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. Joe P. Cunningham on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. If you want to follow me on social media and, of course, check out the podcast version, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe, listen, rate, and review to the Joe Cunningham Radio Show on your podcast platform. Thank you guys, and I'll talk to you again on Monday.